Action! It is the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, it is the man about whom it is said he didn't have didn't even have a mother. Some researchers at NASA created him to be the first man to walk on the moon without a spacesuit. It's Tucker. Hey, Tucker, how we doing? That's me. Hi, Steven. How's it going? It's going pretty well, man. Hey, Tucker, got a question for you. Sure. How do you like your ribs? Um, damn it. Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to it's, have it's, a? It's a line. It's say? a line from this movie. Okay. Like right before he burns the guy behind the. Right before he burns the guy oh. behind the desk in Die Hard. Look, He's like barbecue, huh? The... How do you like your ribs? <sighs> and like yeah. flame throws his ass. So, uh, well done. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Speaking of fire I'm... stunts, the fire stunt that starts this movie. Holy shit. That is we're, dude, we're gonna we're gonna get into the cold open to this movie because oh I God. I I have thoughts. Um, look, our friend Brett Wright was scheduled to be here, but he did forget that it was his girlfriend's Parcheesi night, so he is unable to attend. We do wish him a very speedy return. But Tucker, I think we let's just get into this. Look, we had something different scheduled for today. We were supposed to be talking about another movie today. Mm -hmm. uh madam webb comes out tomorrow as of the release of this episode so we were scheduled originally to talk about eight-legged freaks but then something happened on the day that we recorded last week's episode which is um valentine the dark avenger with our buddy mike snoonian um last friday as of the date of this recording a couple fridays ago as of the date of this release um one of the one of the greats one of the legends uh carl weathers passed away and we'll get into our, our Carl Weathers stories here momentarily. But we, after that recording, after after we said bye to Mike, Tucker and I kind of put our heads together and said, you know what? We really should probably do something for Carl. And this movie was just kind of sitting there. I hadn't seen it before. Had you seen this movie before? No, it's always been on my radar. Like always, always. But I've never... I've just never engaged with it. I've always yes. wanted to, but it just never seemed like it's, I, don't know, I just never watched it. I have no excuse. Yeah, no, I'm big same. Like it was just, it was never on my radar. I, honestly, it was really never on my radar. And I find that hilarious now have actually having seen it. I'm like, why was this never on my radar? Um, but we decided that we needed to do one for Carl. And so Tucker, what film are we talking about instead of eight legged freaks today? We're talking about Action Jackson. 1988's Action Jackson, not to be confused with the 2014 Indian film of the same name, the 1988 American Action Jackson starring Carl Weathers, the late, great Carl Weathers, along with Craig T. Nelson, uh, Vanity, Sharon Stone. From The Last Dragon and fucking Sharon Stone, yeah. She is Sharon Stone. She she is Sharon Stone from all that shit Sharon Stone was in. Yeah. Um, The great Bill Duke. 
Robert Davi, Jack His eyes Kibo. look a lot better in this movie, too. So like, like, he's, that's he's younger. Yeah, he's yeah. younger. That shows. Um, <laughs> Jack Tebow, uh, Armelia McQueen, uh, Roger Aaron Brown, Thomas F. Wilson, Edgar Small, Chino Fats Williams, Prince A. Hughes, Devereaux White, Dennis Hayden, Bob Miner, Nicholas Worth, Ed O. Ross, Mary Ellen Trainer, Sonny Landham, Al Lung, and so many others. Tucker, dare I say it, what a cast. <laughs> what a picture. You forgot Argyle from Die Hard. I said Devereaux White. Oh, I don't know his name. Stoey's Argyle from Die Hard. Yeah, I get a text I him, from I you like... this morning <laughs> saying Argyle's in this movie. Not that shitty spy movie that just came out, but the guy from Die Hard. The limo because driver it, from Die Hard. If you remember correctly, in maybe the last episode or whenever we were talking about Argyle, I was like, oh, you talking mm-hmm. about Homeboy from Die Hard? Yeah. But so here's yeah, the whatever thing. that movie, movie is, I don't know. This movie shares a lot of cast with Die Hard because you also got Al Lung. And mm-hmm. Dennis Hayden, both of whom are henchmen uh, of of the Rickman in that movie. Robert Davi, who plays one of the cops in that movie. Um, and uh, Mary Ellen Trainer is one of the um, is like the news anchor in that movie. So like you've Who's got the guy. Who's the henchman guy? Uh, the the Asian guy with the mustache. That's an how long. OK, Lung. so when I saw him, I was mm-hmm. like, all right. Yep. Okay. Okay. I know what's up. Let's go. Yeah. Al, and he gets one great scene and he's up against, um, uh, whoa, I just forgot the dude's name. Like literally just forgot the dude's name. I'm going to have to look Chino Fats Williams playing okay. kid Sable. Um, and he's just got one. He's just, he has such a distinct voice. Like he sounds like he's just gargled hot asphalt. It's really yeah. kind of what he yes. sounds like in this movie. <laughs> but like he is, and and there's like Al Lung is just one of those every men. He's been he, big trouble in Little China. See our see our episode on that. Um, but like I know he's a favorite of our friend Hope Lickner. Um, he's also like Lethal Weapon. Die Hard, as we mentioned, he's they basically live. the he's the that guy actor of henchmen. Yeah, he's in um, he's in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He plays yes, Genghis he Khan. He's Genghis Khan, yeah, who enjoys Twinkies because of their excellent sugar rush. Mm-hmm. Correct. He's in uh, Twilight Zone the movie. See it. Um, like he he's just a, a lethal weapon running scared. I'm, I'm just looking at his IMDb or his uh, his um, filmography, and it's kind of insane. Last Action Hero, Dance see our, see our previous fuck, episode yeah. on Last Action Hero. Hot Shots Part 2, Beverly Hills Cop Part 3, the sh- future episode The Shadow, future episode Double Dragon. He's in Escape Speaking from of, L.A. He's in gonna be, Godzilla, not, see our episode on Godzilla. This is not the last time that we will be bringing up Beverly Hills Cop in this episode. That's no, sure. absolutely that no. I sure. I had this. I had the same fucking thought, bro. Because that's the crossover I want. Give me mm-hmm. Axel Foley and Action Jackson. Well, you mm. can't now. I know. But like but, if, if someone had had the foresight to make that happen like yes. ten years ago, 
I would have been on fucking board for that. First of all, the fact that this movie does not have at least two sequels, let alone five, is absurd to me. It's a crime. I and I think I know why, and we'll get into it. We will look. We will get into this movie. Word. I. I have so much to talk about. Spoiler alert. I had a ton of fun with this movie. Me too. This movie is cuckoo banana pants of fucking blast. And it, when it started, I was like, holy shit. Is this a perfect movie? Because let me tell you, Tucker, the cold open to this movie might be one of the best cold opens of any movie I have ever fucking seen Probably. in my life. Probably. It is absolutely like I there were moments in this movie where and I'm I'm sitting I'm watching it on my laptop while my partner is sitting right next to me working. She's working her day job and I'm I'm sitting here watching this movie and I'm like pumping my fist in the air <laughs> and like dancing to the Pointer Sisters and just having a fucking blast with this movie. Speaking She's like, of- I can tell you're having fun. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Beverly Hills Cop, also Pointer Sisters. Like, there's yes. another, you know, kind of yep. Detroit. Of course, there's the Detroit of it I was all. going to say, Detroit. It's it's yeah. the Motown of it all. Yeah, yeah, that's 100%. That's what it is. Um, and but the that... Pointer Sisters fucking wrote a song for this movie. This, this movie's yes. soundtrack was like a thing. And this movie has such a good soundtrack. Oh, my Even God. The music in this movie is unbelievable. First of all. This movie's not streaming anywhere. Go rent Action Jackson. Just do it. For me and Tucker, go fucking rent this beast because it is worth your time. It is worth your time to check this out. You're going to have fun. You will absolutely have a blast. It is. It's fun on a bun, man. It is. It is just such a blast. From start to finish, it is goofy, silly. It is. The perfect blend of a late 80s action movie and a late 70s blaxploitation movie. It is all of those elements kind of merged into one thing, and it fucking works. Directed by a stunt man, so you know, like the stunts are going to be mm-hmm. off the chain. And speaking all of the- that fire stunt at the beginning, yes, that, let's 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 fucking get into look, that. That whole time, like the guy blows up right, and he goes out the window. And, like the mm-hmm. whole time he's falling, my face is just like. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. The action set pieces in this movie are some of the best 80s action set pieces I have ever seen. They look great. They're so well shot. It is because mm-hmm. this guy is the stunt coordinator of like Predator. And like mm-hmm. some of this the, the director, I did not say the name of the director up top. I probably should have. Craig R. Baxley is the director. This is his debut he's the stunt coordinator on movies like predator warren Beatty's reds uh the warriors the walter hill film the warriors mm-hmm. uh and he was also uh he also worked on the a-team like he was a consistent um stunt coordinator and and director on the a-team like his first mm-hmm. directing gig bef- the one gig he had before this was an episode of the a-team like he did stunts on fucking like Logan's run and the SWAT TV show and Barnaby Jones, which we mentioned on our, what are we watching? <laughs> look, if from you can last make, week. if you can make Craig T Nelson look like he's got some moves, mm-hmm. you're doing something right. You're doing something 100%. right. Yeah. And I mean, look, this guy, this is like, 
I, cause I was reminded like the, the modern analog of this is like a Chad Stahelski, um, or David Leach, like the guys who did the okay, stunts on yeah. the matrix who then went on to direct like Deadpool and Zombieland and that, mm-hmm. and, and those movies, like those guys were stunt coordinators that you just went on to direct their own stuff. And that's kind of, and we, the people who watch those movies talk about how great or fucking John wick, like the people that watch those movies are like, the action is absolutely incredible. That's what action Jackson is. But for like the late eighties, ripped muscle bound action here like the the stallone schwarzenegger van damme lundgren era of 80s action hero which kind of ends in 88 when this movie comes out we'll, we'll get into that as well like and and carl weathers is kind of the lone black 80s action hero really mm-hmm. He's kind of in a because all those other guys are very, very white. Yeah. Like Snipes doesn't come along until the 90s. Like Snipes no. becomes that guy, but Snipes really doesn't show up until like 90, 92. Yeah. Like I think White Men Can't Jump is 90 or 91. Yeah. And that wasn't even him doing action. He didn't do action until a couple of years later. So like Carl Weathers is kind of it. And speaking and of all those, this white... movie should have gotten sequels. Speaking of all those white dudes, like mm-hmm. you know, I love Sylvester Stallone. Like Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. is kind of—it's one of those. He's an actor that I'm invested in. Like I don't you always do loves. I don't well, always gonna... like the movies he's in, but there's a as... straight up coming up in a few months that will have Sly in it, and we will talk all about your love of Sly at that point. I do. I love him so much. Um, you do. But this. This is the movie that I wanted Cobra to be. This is what Cobra yeah. should have been. And Cobra had the potential to do it, but mm-hmm. it just was it wasn't as well made as this. It just was See, not our previous as well episode made on as Cobra. Movie, right. Which I think Steven, you enjoyed it a little more than I did. I did, but I enjoyed but this still, one even this, more than I enjoyed Cobra. Yeah, this is what this is I don't know if there's such a thing as it's kind of like in the Weird Al movie where he's like the most popular in a very specific genre, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is, that's this, like this might be the perfect 100%. movie of a very specific genre. It and, and Okay. So I had no context for this movie, but when I saw it, I figured it was something more akin to like a Leonard part six, mm-hmm. which is to say a parody of late eighties action. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that I didn't was get that kind vibe of, at all. Well, That's but crazy. again, that was just that was my perception. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But having not seen any of it, having no knowing nothing about it, seeing only the poster and knowing the title, like that was my that was my assumption of what this movie was. And I have never been happier to be proven incorrect about something in my life because I think in a lot of ways this movie is. I don't want to say it's lampooning the tropes of 80s action because it's it's really perpetuating them in a very interesting way, in a way that like another movie we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, I have a feeling that Die Hard isn't mm-hmm. like Action Jackson is really kind of propelling those those tropes in a way that Die Hard really isn't. And I think Die Hard becomes the future and Action Jackson becomes is kind of a next step. And right. Action, Action Jackson, Jackson kind of becomes a relic of the past. Yeah. The big climax of that genre. Yeah, absolutely. it evolves like, into what Die Hard 
turns it into. Right. And I mean, this movie comes out a few months before Die Hard. This movie is, spoilers, a box office success story. Fucking a. And I think there were some issues with the rights, like the rights kind of got tangled uh, along the way, which is why we don't get a sequel to Action Jackson. But this movie, um. this feels like a movie that should have gotten, again, at least two sequels, if not more. Like, this feels like a franchise that could have done for Carl Weathers what Die Hard did for Bruce Willis. Agreed. Had Die Hard not come along the same year. I mean, I think the only... To go back to our discussion of, like, black action heroes, I think you get Lethal Weapon the previous year, and Danny Glover is kind of in that spot, but he starts off being too old for this shit. Well, yeah, and I feel like he's it's a really great joke in Undercover Brother about that because in the Brotherhood spy, like, main office, there's just a big picture of, of Danny Glover. <laughs> Love it. Love because, it. you know, he's, that's, you know, why wouldn't you? If you're, like, part of that, you'd have to see the movie. Anyway, um, yeah, he wasn't, I mean, he did action stuff and Lead the Weapon, but he was kind of like, like in a comedy where you have like the goofy guy and the straight man with mm. Lethal Weapon, you had Mel Gibson, who was kind of the action guy, and Danny Glover, who was kind of the straight man sort of in that context. Right. He's he's the normal cop, whereas Mel Gibson is the crazy action hero cop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And speaking to you were saying that you thought that it was like a comedy before you saw it. Um, right. Tom Wilson wasted in this movie. Wasted. Oh, so wasted in this movie. So, wa I mean, here's the thing. There are so many of these guys who show up for like a few scenes that I'm just like, I want because they're they're They be, they go on to be either so much bigger or they started so much bigger. Mm -hmm. Like Tom Wilson gets his big break like three years before in Back to the Future. Yeah. Like and I think this is either the same year. Is this the same year as Back to the Future Part Two? Part two was 89, I believe, and part okay. two was 90, or it's 90 and 91, one of the two. Uh, no, you're right. Back to the Future is eight. Part two is 89. Part three is 90. You're right. Yes. Okay. So, like, so, like, his, the next back, the second Back to the Future movie is a year after this movie comes out. He's still kind of doing those smaller roles. Like, he still hasn't, he's still kind of, I think, looking for his, his next thing, but, like, he is he's such an incredible performer and so very, very funny in so many things. And he has opportunities to be funny in this, but they are minor at best, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think I think that like those two cops, him and that other cop, were kind of originally meant to be kind of comedic relief. Mm -hmm. But like as much as I think Tom Wilson was wasted in this, I think that if they were like funny or silly, it kind of would have killed the tone of the movie because in, it, in the ways that this movie is funny, they're not, it's not in that kind of way. It's I agree. not in a goofy, silly kind of way. It's like kind of a wink, wink, see, see what we did there kind of way. And I, there's a part of me that wonders if they're not supposed to be like, the Judge Reinhold, John Ashton analogs from I Beverly wish, Hills Cop. I wish, but they're like, like in it three or four times, maybe like a total of like 10 minutes. These guys are on screen. And I think that's one of the weaknesses of this movie 
insofar as this movie has weaknesses and it's not a perfect movie, but the plot is so complicated that like there, and there are so many characters with so little to do that it, it like it's bursting out of its 95 minute runtime. Mm-hmm. I agree. And like, it almost feels like 95 minutes is too short for what, like I need another at least 10 minutes of exposition to kind of tie this movie together. This is the kind of movie that you watch it and you're like, holy fuck, that was great. What happened? Yep. Like, Like, according to the IMDb trivia, and so take this with a grain of salt because IMDb trivia, you know. (laughs) But according to the IMDb trivia, this movie went three months over schedule because no one in the cast could understand the plot. Oh, really? Three three months over schedule because of the plot. In a movie like this, does the cast need to understand the plot? That's kind of my question. Like, why do we need to delay filming for three months to explain the plot to the cast? They obviously know what kind of movie they're in. Like, I, I don't think... I don't know. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I mean, I would I would hope so. But but then again, like this 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 movie is unnecessarily complicated. In a way that is I I don't know. It it and again, it is I think the biggest flaw of this movie is just how complicated this thing gets. Um and I, I guess we'll get into it when we get into the plot because this, there's just so much going on in this thing that I don't know. It doesn't need to be there. Like, it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, Tucker. I just felt like it was unnecessarily complicated. Five minutes later. Right. Um. So, yeah, unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had some technical issues. We're back, though. We're back. We're good. An entire beer, Stephen. An entire beer. And what happened to that entire beer, Tucker? Look, so, like, I have my desk is two tiers. Like, there's the main desk, and then there's, like, maybe a six-inch wide sort of second level of my desk. And that's where my additional monitor sets. But my actual computer, my MacBook here, mm-hmm. um, it sets just right here on the desk, right next to my coaster, which is real. It's a real wooden just, branch. Just there. a Check slice of a tree. Yeah. Yep. And my beer sits on that. And I don't know how, but I was taking a shot while you were talking. And my beer just leapt from the coaster. Mm-hmm. unmolested left from the coaster onto my computer and there was so much beer on my MacBook um, I don't know how it still works look that was, a, that was a lot of beer this is a gift a this is a gift we're not going to question it no it's a gift no. the podcast gods have smiled upon us today some most days they don't but today today was a good day that charging cable is still not happy so yeah yeah i think i got some beer in the charging cable outside of that though it's strange because all of everything else 
there are four USB-C um, ports on this computer, and that's it. So I have two hubs connected mm-hmm. on one, and then I have my power and my monitor on the other. And none of the other ones got anything in them, but my charging cable is is being a little wonky. So yeah, you might have to dunk the whole laptop in a in a bag of rice when we're done. No, I feel like it's it's either just the port. Like this happens to my phone all the time too. Like my phone is waterproof, mm-hmm. but there's also a USB C port on it. So if there right, if right. there gets moisture gets in there or something, it lets me know. And it's like, hey, don't don't try to charge this with the this port because there's water in it. And I feel like that's what's happening right now. But I have more than enough battery to continue what we're doing. And what we are doing is talking about action, Jackson. And Stephen, you were saying that the plot is there's a lot. There's just a lot. And it's too much, I would say. Like, it's more plot than this movie needs, um, quite frankly. Um, which is, again, not to say that I wasn't having a good time, but there are moments where I was just like, Wait, what? What's happening? What? Who? What? What? What's going on? Like, if this film weren't as as well done as it is in mm -hmm. every other aspect, right, it would not be as good because there's just way too much going, way too much going on, and like, I hate that. Like, I hate that you start out with Sharon Stone, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, she's great, and I love like the chemistry they have, and like what's going on, and like it's, it's really interesting. And then she dies. Yeah. So like, I'm going to let's, let's talk Sharon Stone a little bit, kind of where she is in 88, because she is not ascended to the Sharon Stone status that we know her at, at this point, like in yeah, 88, she's not a huge deal. No, she's, she's actually a relatively minor deal in the eighties. Like she does the King Solomon's minds, which I think is a Canon film with um richard chamberlain in 85 um based on the h Ryder haggard books uh back when they back when indiana jones was popular so they tried to remake the h Ryder haggard films or novels uh she does like alan quartermain and like anybody else that's like even remotely indiana jones adjacent well yeah that that's king solomon's minds that is that is alan quartermain Um, oh word yeah so she's, she wow. does King Solomon's Minds and the sequel, Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold. She does both of those. She does Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol in 87. Also I've heard that's the best Police Academy. Is I have no idea. Or is it the one where they go to Russia? I don't know. It's definitely not Mission to Moscow. That, that Look, if the goot's the in it, one. I'm there. I think he does most I show of those. Up, I show up when the goot shows up. That's just um, how I am. As, that's who I am as a person. I will tell you the goot is definitely in four. So I don't know if the goot is in eight though. I think he might've tapped out by eight. Um, Could be wrong. I can check it if you want. No, it's not worth it. I just, I I just think Steve Gutenberg is, uh, you know, an American treasure. It looks like, it looks like four is his last appearance in a, in in a, in a police Academy film. So there you go. Uh, Cold Steel, also in 87, and then Action Jackson the next year, along with Above the Law. Uh, And then she doesn't, like her big, her first movie, like that she kind of gets noticed in is Total Recall, which doesn't happen until 90. And I always forget she's in that. She, I mean, maybe like more attractive than anyone has ever looked at a movie before, maybe. 
Um, Agreed. But, but like her big break isn't until 92 with Basic Instinct. That's, that's like her that Basic Instinct. And but then and then after that, she's got Sliver. She's in Last Action Hero playing her character from Basic Instinct. Um, but after that, like after Basic Instinct, she is Sharon Stone. She's fully ascended. Does, you know, one of the greatest Westerns of all time, The Quick and the Dead, Martin Scorsese's oh, yeah. Casino. Like she has yes, fully dude. arrived at that point. She's like, referenced in Scream. That's like you don't just get referenced in Scream. Right. West Craven you basically like, have to be somebody. Sharon Stone. Right. Or John Carpenter. Like exactly. <laughs> but like, no, I mean, she she kind of ascends in the 90s, in the early 90s. So this is well before she's at that yeah. moment. And so like this is just kind of an early role for her. Um, but yeah, you you kind of think she's gonna be the girl, and then she's kind of a weird sacrificial lamb in this movie. Yeah, and it sucks because she's kind of fantastic in it. And I really mm-hmm. dig the the chemistry she has not only with Carl Weathers, but even the stuff she's in with Craig T. Nelson. Like, mm-hmm. it's all fantastic. And then yeah. she just straight up dies. As, That's not to I'm, say that, like, the rest of the movie isn't full of fantastic performances. Correct. But, like, it's a shame to see that one get snuffed so early. Right. I mean, she's she's dead within the first half. Like so much happens in this movie so quickly. Like I first paused the movie at 10 minutes in, like right after we meet Action Jackson. And I was like, holy shit, we're just now meeting the title character 10 minutes into the movie. And then I paused it another 10 minutes. And I feel like the plot is half evolved at that point. Like it it a lot happens very quickly in this movie. Like it starts out at like a, a good pace, but then it, once it gets going, it it's a fucking freight train, this movie, yeah. like, because it's got 95 minutes to fill and like no time to stop. Kind of like the movie. What, what, what I thought of, of last week's movie, Valentine, like it, it got so much to do and it just books it to the end. Like it's like, well, no time for development, no time for any of this, you know, superfluous shit. We're just booking it to the end. Uh, I feel like this movie does it better than Valentine. Obviously. Oh yeah. But like, yeah. I feel like it's, it's, both, it's the that's kind of film that's made for that sort of storytelling. For sure. You know, because 100%. you're basically sandwiching exposition in between huge action pieces. And in this movie, it doesn't exactly, it doesn't, unlike uh uh valentine or even like you know i was mentioning a couple weeks ago that new mission impossible movie where mm-hmm. it's like action sex set ugh, action set piece and then they explain the pot, plot a bit action set piece explain the plot a bit this one like it it felt very natural even though the plot was overcomplicated. it wasn't like right. people just sitting there talking about the plot like the mm-hmm. most recent mission impossible like right. things were moving forward lo- lo- you were going from location to location from person to person like it flowed it had a rhythm to it yep so i mean even like i say even though it's overcomplicated, it works it works yeah i and i agree like this for for the for the flaws in the plotting of this movie the pacing is incredible like the plotting is atrocious but the pacing is really well done like it just it goes at a clip and it doesn't stop like you're inter- you're introduced to like main characters late in the movie like kid sable you meet mm-hmm. him i feel like in the the 
back half of the second third of this movie. Yeah. I was going to say like at the beginning of the third act almost. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And he, he's a huge character, but, and that's why I'm bummed. This movie never had sequels is because there are every minor character in this movie is like a main character in another film. Like D the hairdresser that he goes to for information after he tries to, uh, meet Papa Doc and of course finds out that Papa Doc is dead and his testicles are in a jar. Like, like she is a lead character in another movie or like a main character mm-hmm. in another movie. Like kids could have had a whole cinematic universe. Action mm-hmm. Jackson. See you. You absolutely. AJCU is AJCU. what it would be called. <laughs> like you absolutely could have like, have had like spinoffs and, or like maybe she becomes a major character in the second film. Like, because, I mean, she's in, she's a one scene character, but she is so over the top and so memorable and so fun and funny that you're like, I want more of her. And I feel the same way about Kid Sable. I feel the same way about Bill Duke. I feel the same way about um, the the two beat cops played by, uh, by Tom Wilson and uh, Robert, Roger Aaron Brown. Like I feel the same way about so many characters in this movie. Like I want, more of them than this movie is willing to give me like you could do a whole prequel spinoff just on the invisible army characters like the the henchmen that craig t nelson's henchmen like in in uh modern terms what this would work great as if it were made today would be something like a a black mirror well not so much a black mirror but more like a sherlock where like you have seasons of like three or four episodes, but each episode is feature length. So you get to explore that world a little bit through mm-hmm. while still following that main character of Carl Weathers and Action Jackson. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be ideal. It would be so ideal. It would be so good. I it would cost a lot of money. It would. Be- I mean <laughs> Especially look, to do practically. Practically. I, I was gonna say action set pieces like this do not come cheap. Uh, like yeah. the chase scene with uh, with Bob Miner as Gamble, Mr. Gamble, mm-hmm. like when he ramps that car up over and into the building. I I oh was God. just yeah, fucking pumping my fist my... in the air and just I was just like mouth agape. Mm-hmm. It's like I cannot believe how insane this is. <laughs> this is fantastic. Right. Like I, I feel like every action set piece, I was just like in awe of what was being accomplished. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have long said that Die Hard is a perfect action movie. And I still believe that is true, but scene for scene, I would put any action scene in this movie up against any action scene in Die Hard. And I feel like these would come out on top. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. And I think it's because this film is a little more, it's a little more out there. It's a mm-hmm. little more over the top. Uh, the diehard stuff is a little more grounded. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's what, that's what keeps that a perfect movie, even though the action scenes are better in this one. Right. I think well, it's I the mean, tones are different for sure. And this, this film I think is doing a really good job of, of measuring tones between, and I said this earlier between like that, those late era eighties action films with, Schwarzenegger and Stallone just as ripped as any two human beings have ever looked in their lives. Mm-hmm. And those seventies black exploitation movies like 
Shaft or um, uh, Superfly or I mean, uh, even even on to a lesser degree, something like uh, a Foxy Brown. Um, like it's kind now of now you're speaking my language. It's in that zone, <laughs> right? Like yeah, it's absolutely. And, and this, so this whole movie is born out of Carl Weathers and Joel Silver's shared love of black exploitation films. Yeah, and just hanging this, out, talking about it on the set of Predator. No on the set deal. of Predator, right? Yeah. They're just sitting there chatting about it, and Carl Weathers basically pitches the idea of. You know, well, why don't we do something like that with me? We, I don't know. Call it Action Jackson, and like Craig Baxley is there doing the doing the stunts, and he's like, "Well, you know, I I could I could work on that." And the and Joel Silver's probably like, "Well, why don't you direct it?" And like, the, that's where the whole thing is born. And you got two Predator actors. You got the great, yep. the immortal Bill Duke. Yeah, Bill Duke. Yeah, I cannot say enough good about Bill Duke. I he's fucking fantastic and everything I've seen. Love that man. He's also an amazing director. What has he directed? He, Tell me more. He, I don't know about this. What the fuck? You didn't you didn't know Bill Duke was a your director? Boy. Dude. I did not know. First I'm of all, right I know now. I know for a fact you have absolutely seen one of the movies he has directed because he directed one of the sister acts. I think it is Sister Act 2. <gasps> what? With Lauren Hill? What? Yes. I am I am 95% sure that Bill Duke directed oh. Sister Act 2 back in the habit. I love it, and you're killing me. He is uh, director. Um, I don't know this is familiar. Oh, these are TV shows. That's why. Yes, he did direct Sister Act Two: Back in the Habit. He also directed future episode of this podcast, A Rage in Harlem, and a, a movie, what? A Rage in Harlem. Oh, okay. Future episode <laughs> of this podcast, okay. and he also directed a really fucking great uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, it's it's Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum movie called Deep Cover that is so okay. fucking incredible. Now, in later years, he's kind of gone on to do some like the like his early years are very like intense, like some of the stuff he's directing. And yeah, um I think that. later in he his career an episode of Matlock. Yeah, man. Sorry, later in ahead. his career, he's doing like religious films like Not Easily mm. Broken. You know, um, you get to the end of your life, you get a little spiritual, I'm sure. Sure. He's still with, alive, though, right? Yeah, man. He's still around. Okay. He's still kicking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like when he when he does so pass, like, I feel like when 80. he does pass, we're going to have to do uh, Rage in Harlem or something on main oh, yeah. feed. Cause, Absolutely. Fucking A. I'm waiting like, for that. He is probably the best part of the worst X-Men movie. Um, or Agreed. I guess second, second worst X-Men movie. <laughs> but yeah, like... Um, like the best part of that movie, like whenever Bill Duke shows up, I it's, it's, it's the Alfred Molina thing. I feel like I can rest easy because I'm in good hands with Bill Duke. Like yeah. that man can do no wrong in my mind. He is so fucking good. And he's got just one of the great faces, one of the great voices. He's got these like deep mm -hmm. sunken eyes. He's got this voice Instantly that is recognizable and an instant gravitas as well. Like, and there are a handful of actors that exist in that zone. Um, your boy who, who passed away last year, uh, Lance Reddick, I think existed in that zone as well. Yeah. Like he just shows up and you know exactly who this guy is. And I think Bill Duke does that so well. And he is so fucking good in predator. Like I, again, I told you earlier when I was watching this movie, I just, 
kind of wanted to watch Predator right. Like I had shit to do, so I couldn't. But I was like, I kind of want to just put on Predator right after this and just watch Predator. Double feature, yeah. Because you've got, and then there's the scene where you have um, Carl Weathers fighting Sonny Landham, who is Billy in in Predator. Like Mm -hmm. I, all we're missing is a Shane Black cameo. Really, (laughs) really, or a Shane Black script. Here's the thing: I think Shane Black could have done a polish on this script, and it probably would have elevated this movie to to like a five star movie. I like that idea. I'm way into that. Shane Black, let's. I don't want to say let's do a remake, but like let's invent a time machine. Um, honestly, though, I kind of I, the only thing that bums me out about an Action Jackson remake is that Carl Weathers isn't around to do it. And even like even if it is uh, like a remake and it's a different actor in the main role, like Beverly Hillbillies, you would want Carl Weathers like Get Carter. You would want Michael Caine. You mm-hmm. know, like you want these people to show up just Here's to like thing. in solidarity. You know, you that, that goes Bill a Duke long way with the remake. It goes a long way in a remake. Like if like as bad as uh, each um, subsequent watch of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake gets for me. Mm-hmm. If Robert England showed up just like in the background somewhere, that's mm-hmm. an extra star Hell for yeah. sure. That's solidarity right there. That's like, absolutely. where's Peter Weller? I love you, but could you please have just like showed up for a minute in the mm-hmm. RoboCop remake? Because outside of that, perfect remake. Mm-hmm. Just saying. I mean, you, you kind of want the hat tip. Yeah. You you want the hat? Oh, I didn't know Bill Duke was in High Flying Bird. Now I want to see High Flying Bird. I was kind of like, I don't ah, even I know what the fuck that is. That's the that's the Soderbergh movie that he made like right before the pandemic. Oh, he like he like made it on his fucking phone, nice. and it's got uh it's got Andre Holland in it. Word. And apparently it's got Bill Duke in it too. And I fucking love Bill Duke, so I kind of want to watch that now. Now you kind of have to see it. I look yeah. forward to it showing up on a what are we watching? No, I but I do. I, I love Bill Duke. And I think 88 kind of spells the end of like any attempt at like a rejuvenation of the black exploitation thing. Because you've got, I think the year before, you've got Hollywood Shuffle comes out in 87, and that's a Robert Townsend movie. Uh, and then but also I'm in 88, you, sucker, you also have, but, but here's the thing in most cases, when the parody hits, the genre is dead. And I say in I most mean, cases, because say, yeah, you can't kill black exploitation though. Like. I say in most cases, but, but here's the thing. How many black exploitation movies are made in the nineties? None. And the ones that come in, the ones that come in later are kind of like doing parody or homage to the black exploitation thing. Not necessarily, yeah. I mean, you get stuff like Jackie Brown, right? In Booty Tang, you've got stuff like Undercover Brother, like we talked about. What are we watching? And you, but again, those are more in the parody homage territory, Mm -hmm. and that's in the two thousands too. That's not in the nineties. I mean, even you get stuff like Black Dynamite is like late two thousands. But then you get like, I mean, John Singleton Shaft is two thousand on the Nugget, and that is absolutely a black exploitation homage. But again, in the nineties, you don't have it. So like, you get a this decade of 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 a fallow period essentially in the 90s where there is not with the exception of tarantino doing jackie brown really no one else is 
right and no one else is really touching the genre at all and like jackie brown comes along and people are like we could do this again i guess and I mean, but, but, but you look at the, you look at some of the black stories that are being told. And I think it's, I honestly, I think it starts with do the right thing in 1989, Spike Lee mm-hmm. and like Spike, that's his third film, I think. Like, so he's doing stuff in the, in the eighties, like leading up to that. But like that movie is such a seismic turning point. And then you get like, Boys in the society, boys in the society, exactly. Yes, juice. So, and and that's the thing. Like that becomes the nineties era of of black filmmaking. Black filmmaking, yes. But I think at a certain point, you get this new thing, and you get a lot of this new thing, and it's amazing. But then at a certain point, you're like, yes, but this is also valid. So right. maybe we should bring a little bit of this back. And that's and what that's I mean about what like Singleton it's, it's, Shaft is. That's what Singleton Shaft is. It's, it's because you get the guy who made Boys in the Hood doing a black exploitation movie. Black exploitation. And you yeah. bring those two things together and it becomes this this kind of second wave black exploitation that I guess technically you could say Tarantino probably kickstarted, but I would say Singleton maybe perfected. We're going to talk about the 2000 shaft one day. So I don't want to say too much about it now because I want to see that new one too. I I just want to watch all of them all at once in really. Yes. We, I, I absolutely, I own, I own shaft on the criterion 4k. And that comes with, one of Shaft, the sequels, it, it comes with Shaft goes to Africa, I think, or okay. no, Shaft's big score, the second one, Shaft's okay. big score, Shaft okay. in Africa. I don't have. I would have to find that one, but then it's canon. I'm it just is. saying, it it's is canon. It is. <laughs> Every movie in the Shaft franchise is canon. It is, but I would I would call both of the most recent ones spinoffs rather than sequels they're not direct sequels they're they're both spinoffs in their own way no yeah it's like it's like you know it's it's the same kind of deal but since mm-hmm. the character is you know that's kind of passing the torch sort it of is thing. well except except Stan, samuel jackson is still the biggest star in in the most recent shaft movie <laughs> yeah that's true that is true because as, uh, as great I mean, as jesse t usher is he's he's not samuel jackson he's no so. sam jackson uh what i mean by like black exploitations and you can't kill it is that yeah it may have been in its heyday in the 60s and the 70s but it's never really going to die it's going to keep getting resurrected i think it's it's something that's so ingrained in film history that you can't help but acknowledge it I mean, it's never going to fade from the consciousness. I don't think. Sure, and, and I and I certainly agree with that. But like, the proof is in the pudding. Like, if it's not getting made, like uh, there are people that are always going to remember it. Like, I, I think of westerns. I probably like a really good analog for what I'm thinking about because you don't really get westerns anymore. But there was a time when they were like every other movie that was being made was, was a Western. the most popular genre. Yeah, absolutely. But like these days when a Western comes along, it's a novelty at best. Mm-hmm. Like um, I'm trying to think of the last Western that kind of got any kind of mainstream attention. Like um, I'm mainstream thinking, attention, I don't know, but history of violence and bone Tomahawk were both fucking. You mean in the Valley of violence? Yeah. Sorry, I said I said Cronenberg's History of Violence. Yeah, 
Which Not is Viggo a perfect Mortensen, movie. No, Ethan yeah. Hawke and John Travolta, John Travolta in the Valley of Motherfucking Violence. I was going to say. Boy, Ty West. Yeah, I was going to say that is my favorite Ty West movie, which feels like a really hot take. But God, I love that so much. No, it's not my favorite, but I get it. It is a fantastic movie. And it's so like it's so off brand, but also on brand for Ty West. Like, mm-hmm. it's a really weird movie and I love it. But I feel like after Unforgiven, which is kind of Clint Eastwood's final Western and kind of his final statement on the genre. That's, yeah, that's the final word on the genre. Exactly. That's, that's, and that's 92. But after that, you still get like Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead. Um, a couple years before Unforgiven, you get Robert Zemeckis' Western Back to the Future Part 3. Um, you, you Then after that, you get... Which works way better than it ever had any right to as a Western. Exactly. But like you... <laughs> So you get these westerns, but they're sporadic at best. But because there there comes a point when these things hit critical mass, and I feel like black exploitation movies had were were fizzling out by the late eighties, and so eighty eight you kind of get these well, final statements I mean, on black exploitation in eighty seven and eighty eight between I'd say, this Hollywood shuffle and I'm gonna get you, sucker. I'd say that black exploitation hit its peak in the mid 70s and by sure. the late 70s it was it was dying down right that's why when carl weathers was doing predator that's why i'm sure he was like hey we should do something that's like that because like nobody's doing that i think we could you know it's all speculation i wasn't there Right, but I'm just saying, with the way this movie is, and the way like the the popularity of black exploitation was, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like you kind of was probably you, and I mean, you have stuff like this and the Last Dragon, which are kind of these '80s riffs on black exploitation, Hollywood Shuffle, Action Jackson. Like you get these kind of like things that are kind of riffing on these ideas. Um, and then you get some other ones in like few and far between through the nineties, but then the two thousands, it starts to pick up a little bit with stuff like shaft and Pootie Tang and uh, undercover brother and black dynamite, yeah. like, and, and it, they, all this shit comes in waves, like, but it, there's not, it's most consistent through the seventies and mm-hmm. then it kind of peters out, but it feels like it almost straight up. Once we get that parody, I'm going to get you suck it. It feels like that's kind of an end point. It feels like that's kind of like a, okay, like this is a quote unquote dead genre. And now any explorations are going to be in the homage parody area. And if you want to, if you want to like see in real time, the fluctuation of the popularity of black exploitation, just look up Pam Greer's IMDb page. Yes. And you'll have a real good idea. Mm hmm. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic actress. Love her, but like when black exploitation died, until like Jackie Brown, yeah. Like, where has Pam Greer been? Yeah, is she okay? Like, right. Apparently, she is. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that, and that. I mean that's that's that that's kind of. But but again, black exploitation is this kind of thing that very much comes out of the seventies. You get these great auteurs like. Um, Melvin Van Peebles and Gordon Parks um, that are like going out and doing this this great shit Um, and then like it 
it starts to become folded into the mainstream and those guys mm-hmm. start to get bigger platforms. And so their movies get, start to do different things. And like people that are inspired by those movies start to get bigger platforms, start to fold those elements into bigger movies. And so now you've got people with bigger budgets doing those things better. And those movies kind of fall back. I mean, yeah. Kung Fu, that was another genre that was insanely popular through the seventies. Mm-hmm. And it, a same thing happens with it going forward. Like, those movies start to be to take a back seat and then we get more like asian filmmakers actually starting to make those films like jackie chan like starts directing his own films like um and and so that becomes again and I, i'm kind of getting off the point here but like it it, it, it's it's imperative that we allow people to tell their own stories. Um, Craig Baxley, by the way, white dude. I just want to throw that out there. Um, but I, I would say the auteur of this film is not Craig Baxley. It's Carl Weathers. Like this is kind of his yeah, baby. Craig's his invited to the barbecue. It's all right. Like Sure, sure. <laughs> but like this is this. <laughs> I don't think you get to invite people to the barbecue, Tucker. Hey, man, I'm invited to the barbecue. I feel like I could have a plus one. <laughs> you're gonna make craig your plus one all right dude that's your that's maybe. your choice maybe i don't know but like i feel like this is carl's and i think that's why this is kind of the perfect movie to talk about to m- remember and memorialize carl is because this is his brainchild this is his baby and yeah. this movie comes out of his passion for this genre and this type of storytelling and this type of filmmaking and it it, it does feel like a perfect union between what was popular when he was getting into film and what is popular in the modern eighties context. And he's, he's mostly remembered as a co-lead, like, like never, never the leading man, but this is, this is his lead role. Exactly. Well, he's got a couple others, but they are, this is the, the big one. Like he's got, I think Mm -hmm. hurricane Smith is an, it's an Australian. It's, I think that one's an exploitation film. Kind of borrowing wow. elements from exploitation and black exploitation, and can then we put there that was on the list. I want to see that. I mean, I guess we can. The There's another movie that he made excuse. with Billy D. Williams. Oh, oh yeah, I saw it. It's sometimes uh, in some countries, it's Action Jackson too. Yeah, in, in Germany, I believe. I think it's called Desperate Passions. Dangerous passion. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> Dangerous passion. One of that was I was close. Something. But like, yeah. And and then I think the last word on like, but again, this this is kind of the end, not only of black exploitation though, but of this particular kind of 80s action movie because mm-hmm. Die Hard. Yeah. And Die Hard changes the script so that our leading men are not these huge, ripped, muscle-bound, like, like not even human people but they look like bruce willis they look like that guy from moonlighting they (laughs) i love that show it's a great show do ducks duck (laughs) do flies fly he's so bruce willis is so fucking funny in that show i fucking love bruce willis like he is i wish look probably my favorite movie star of all time i'm just gonna say that early in his film career he had some some jokes mm-hmm. but he just got away from it man and he's a funny motherfucker and it's damn it's like tom hanks almost mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's like, this dude is so fucking funny. And he's a great dramatic actor. Like, good for him and shit. Please, please give us peasants some funny. We know you're funny. Give well, it to us. He he can't anymore, dude. He's he's well, got he's got he's got dementia, dude. Oh yeah. I was talking about no, not uh, Bruce Willis, man. Yeah, what? no, I was yeah, I'm just I meant like Tom Hanks could still give us Oh funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying in he in does the that context on SNL, and, but yeah. He does, but Man, and I think that's honestly that has a big part in my love for the Lady Killers, because since then, and since Philadelphia up to that point, nothing. Mm-hmm. Dry st- dry spell for your Tom Hanks comedy fans right here, who thinks he's one of the funniest motherfuckers in the business, not doing any comedy. No, and I think really. that's that's I will I will admit that that is a biased reason, probably why I have a little bit more love for the lady killers than most people do, because I think Tom Hanks is fucking hilarious in that movie. He's perfect. And I love it. He's it's too much for me. He's doing too much in yep. that movie for me. But you I know, to each their own. That is fair. I understand that assessment, but it is not my own. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. Fair. No, dude, totally fair. But yeah, uh, how but, do we get But no, that? I mean, uh, 80s action movies. Oh yeah, like Bruce this, Willis, yeah. Because hard, yeah, Bruce, yes. Willis, Bruce Willis kind of flips the script. And so after this, we get like, and I think Tango and Cash kind of is that, that sweet spot between what they, what 80s action movies were, a future episode of this podcast, Tango and Cash, what 80s action movies were and what they were about to become. Yeah. Like, and you've got Stallone and Kurt Russell kind of sharing the screen together and that's that I think is a really good encapsulation of kind of the verging roads. I didn't do it. Um, They're coming to take you away. Ha ha. If that's for me, I'm not in. Um, I think is what she says in this movie um, of yeah. like the kind of the diverging paths of action films. And we will see like Stallone kind of gets his his second wind later on. But like the nineties are kind of a struggling moment for him trying to find what's next for him. And Arnold kind of does the same thing and eventually just Mm -hmm. decides to run, run for governor and win. But like you, you start to see these guys kind of slip in the nineties, like because what people are wanting from action is less what they were doing and more what Willis was doing. Uh, And honestly, I think predators may be partially responsible too. Because Predator yeah. kind of flips the script on what an action movie had been. And the first half of that movie is a perfect encapsulation of 80s action. And the second is a fucking slasher movie where they're all being hunted. And like yeah. none of the shit that works in any action movie fucking works on this guy. Like it's the Predator, man. Come on. The motherfucker's is. invisible. I love the Predator. I love Predator. invisible, dude. That movie rules. Predator rules. Agreed. It's like, it's one of my three favorite McTiernan's and it's not even close, but here's the thing. McTiernan has three perfect or damn near perfect movies. Agreed. And he, he makes them right in a row. It's predator. It's die hard. It's hunt for red October. Word. Now look, I recognize that the hunt for red October is an amazing movie, but Steven, 
You know what? The only thing that I don't like more than a boat movie? A submarine movie? A motherfucking submarine? That's that's more in the water. Like, you half in the water in a boat movie, and I can't stand that shit. Here's the you thing. all the way in the water? Fuck, dude. I Hunt couldn't even get October. into Mikhail's Navy, and Bruce Willis was in that mo- or Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Campbell was in that motherfucker. I was going to say, not Bruce Willis. Um... Well, Tom no, Arnold, Hunt- too, to be fair. So how could you get into that? And French Stewart. Yeah. Um, Aw. Anyway, go ahead. Hunt for Red October is the best sub-movie. Crimson know, Tide, so good. But, uh, Crimson Tide is a close movie. second, but Hunt for Red October is the best. That's got a surprise Courtney B. Vance role. Like, I always forget he's in that. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's Courtney B. Vance. Oh, fuck, I love Jonesy. Yes. Like, no, man. Like. But but no, like McTiernan kind of flips the script on action in two years between Predator and Die Hard so that by the 90s, what an a- what we're expecting from an action movie is a different thing. And I feel like that is part of why this movie kind of is a one and done because it comes out yeah. at the wrong moment. Agreed. Like this, this movie comes out months before Die Hard does. This movie comes out in February, Die Hard. First of all, it's kind of dumped in February. Like February is the dumping ground for movies. Yeah. Um, but it still does fairly well. Like it, it is, is considered a, a box office success, but it is quickly swept away by Die Hard, And so its status now is as a cult movie as a result of that, which is a fucking bummer. Yeah. Is there a 4k of this? I would, I want there to be so bad. I do too because I was enjoying the high def version, um, but mm-hmm. there was a bit a bit of noise, and it wasn't digital noise. It was just the quality of whatever print that they had that they transferred for the DVD or whatever or the Blu-ray. Right. But I think if somebody took the original master and and remastered it in 4K, it would it would look really fucking good. Yeah. And like I like um, that film grain on some stuff, but like true. I kind of want this movie to pop, like Virgin Suicides kind of pop. Sure, I don't think I don't. I'm not seeing a physical media release at all. Fuck. Who made this we, movie? What's the What's the company? Was Warner Brothers? This it was is, Warner Brothers. Because Warner Brothers ends up with the rights to it and the doesn't logo, do shit with them. The logo was surprisingly modern. Mm-hmm. Like when it started up, I was like, "Oh, they tacked the modern logo on." But then, like the music for the film started while the logo was on. And I was like, "Oh, wow, 1988, looking pretty fucking fancy with this modern Warner Brothers logo." <laughs> so fuck? it's 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 a Lorimar Pictures. It's a Lorimar present production. So Lorimar film. So probably uh, distributed by Warner Brothers. No, it's distributed by Lorimar, but Lorimar oh. is eventually purchased. In I think right before this movie comes out is purchased by Warner Brothers. Nice. Is purchased by Warner's Communication. So it's mean, a good looking logo. I'm just saying that must have been that had to have been one of the first times they used that modern logo because this movie's way too old to be having that fucking logo on it. But I think that's part of the reason why this movie doesn't end up getting the sequels is because the rights change hands. Oh, yeah. Like, that like they pl- there is a sequel plan because it is a success they plan a sequel 
they sell the rights and then they end up at Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers just sits on it as Warner Brothers tends to do with shit like this. Like it's, they do be doing that. They're focused on, you know, whatever they think is the next bigger thing and that they're not paying attention to this thing they have right in front of them. Like I wanted I would love if in a sequel, maybe not the next movie, but maybe the third movie that like Delaplane's son gets out of prison and takes tries to take vengeance on action like i and then he really does rip his arm off yeah just take it clean off i need to see it i need to see just pluck it like yank it like a paper towel (laughs) right off that motherfucker pull the hamstring pulled it right off yeah that's what i want to see that's what i want to see like an action figure like yeah 100% 100% like a, like a fucking G.I. Joe into it way into it Give like that I, the third one because I mean again that's kind of the thing that we hear about action through the beginning he's, he's a one-man army he's this like very big imposing figure and that like, kid is so scared of him he faints like three times three times I love my my favorite <laughs> and he becomes his friend and that's so sweet and wholesome and I love it like is the when he first goes out with Sharon Stone and they're in the bar and the kid ducks into the bar, sees the back of his head and just darts back out there, like doesn't (laughs) even see him, just sprints out the door. That's the comedy that works in this movie. Yes. They may have wasted Tom Wilson, but that bit fucking works 100% every fucking time. And Sharon Stone looks at him like, who was that? And and action's just not even paying any attention. He just, he cannot (laughs) be bothered. Like, I love it. (laughs) Shit like that, I love. Like, it's... It's fantastic. It's this movie is so fun. It's a fun like it's fun in the way that 80s action movies are supposed to be fun. And like it's it's it is the best of black exploitation and the best of 80s action really baked into a single movie. Like yeah. it it I just I can't say enough good about it. Look dude, I feel like we're about ready to wrap up and we haven't even done the fucking plot. Like we didn't do the plot, but but I mean yeah, like <laughs> I was thinking that too. It's like I feel like we've really, really we, discussed this. Yeah, like <laughs> we we've, we've gone plot. deep on this movie, but we haven't even done the fucking plot. But here's like, the should thing. we? The, the plot should is we leave it out. I'm into, I'm into I'm into leaving it out, man. I want people to go see this. Look, like normally we do the plot, right? But like, you know I what? Mean, I can't imagine a lot of people have seen it. I want this to be an incentive for them here's, to check it out here's what i'll say tucker like normally barely touched the plot except to say that it's complicated it it, barely touched it it is true here's what i here's what i'm going to say i am willing willing to do willing to not do the plot in 60 but i'm not going to make that decision the coin of justice is going to make that decision. Okay. If the coin decides we skip the, here's what I propose. If the coin decides we skip the plot, we skip the plot. If the coin decides we do the plot, you do the plot. You know what the funniest part about this is, is that we could have just done the plot in 60 seconds by now. And the time that it took for us to explain that. Okay. I am way into that. All right, so this, so I've got the coin of justice at the ready, and we're going to determine whether or not we do the plot. Okay, heads, no plot. Tails, Tucker plot as penance for suggesting we not. So word. Here goes. I love that it's a punishment. Like I did wrong. You know what, Tucker? What? 
It's heads. Ah, oh, the boy done wrong again, but it doesn't matter because it's heads. The coin chose to agree with you. So look, y'all need to go out and see Action Jackson. Again, it's not streaming anywhere, but it is worth your $4 rental. 100%. Yeah, you can rent it streaming. Like it is there digitally, so don't get too scared that it's, it's not going to be there. It's, it's not look, like on any streaming service, unfortunately. Right, but it is worth your four dollars for sure, for okay. sure, for sure. Um, Tucker, real quick, because I know I know we do need to wrap some shit up, but like, what is your first? Because this is again, this is our Carl Weathers R.I.P. episode. Like, what is your first exposure to Carl Weathers? What are some of your favorite Carl Weathers performances? Like, tell us a little bit about your history with Carl. Well, Carl Weathers and I, uh, it's it's really it's all about Rocky. Like everything else is secondary. Everything else is rad, but mm-hmm. inconsequential, honestly. Sure. Because because Apollo Creed mm-hmm. is not only a fantastic fucking character, but Carl Weathers is so charming and handsome. If I may say, you may. and him, him and Sylvester Stallone have fantastic chemistry, which even though I love the emotional impact mm-hmm. and the the within the context of the plot of Rocky three or Rocky four, it makes me really sad that we don't get any more Apollo Creed in the Agreed. Rocky series, because those two together, dude. Like I would have wanted, uh, I would have wanted Carl to show up in the Creed movies opposite Michael B. Jordan. Now, like, I would how have rad was that? Like that. you wouldn't even. It would have been nice to see Stallone, but you wouldn't even need that motherfucker. Exactly. If you had Apollo Creed, like exactly. Who? Yeah. Like he's. I don't know. It, it's one of those roles where. Like, that's who Carl Weathers is to me. I don't know who he really is, and I've mm-hmm. enjoyed him in other roles as different characters, but when I think of Carl Weathers, it's Apollo Creed 100% all the time. And I feel like I'm a better person for it, honestly. You probably are. Because, look, <laughs> while, great. While, while, great. while Rocky Four was the first movie I saw Carl Weathers in, the mm-hmm. role that I most associate him with, and this is just, I'm about to show my ass, but it's... Carl Weathers from Arrested Development, like uh, with the in the hand. And the mm-hmm. No, no, no. That's, that's Happy Gilmore. Great. That's Happy Gilmore. Oh, wait. It's Buster that has the Buster fake has hand. the hand. That's right. So where they both have fake hands, and I'm, I just. But uh, he's the acting uh, coach. He is. He's right? Tobias's Arrested acting coach. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's still some meat on that bone. Get you know, <laughs> put in some little broth. Some potatoes, Who carrot, knew that baby. He you got a stew going. Like, well, you we hadn't seen him do that kind of stuff before. Like, he's and not he's, a comedy guy. He hadn't been up to that point, but he's so good at it. Like, he's yeah, perfectly he pitched in that sure. zone. Yeah. Like, and I think that's part of why I thought Action Jackson was a comedy because that's how I saw him at that point. Oh, like, that he tracks is, now. That makes sense. He's he's the comedy guy. So like yeah. I was like totally, totally in to like that cut. But again, I like I loved him in The Mandalorian. Um I loved him in in Predator. I, I loved him in the Rocky films. Like yes, hundred percent absolutely. But I can't cannot get over him in in Arrested Development, like that, for for me, that's kind of it. And again, I feel like I'm showing my ass saying that, but like I love it, I really do. So, 
That uh, those are those are valid thoughts, Stephen. I support those thoughts. But now it might be Action Jackson because this movie fucking rules, Tucker. This yeah, movie it, it's is it's great. definitely it's definitely shaken up my perception. Mm-hmm. Like I and when this movie started, because again, as I said, the cold open for this movie is a perfect cold open. Like the first ten minutes of this movie are perfect. This is, but you it, know, that kind of reminds me of the way of the gun in that way. Mm. And we've discussed that uh, uh, fa- past and future guest of the podcast, JP Leck and I famously gush over that movie every time mm-hmm. he saw it an episode. Uh, very similar to where like the cold open just sets the tone. Like mm-hmm. this is the this is the movie we're getting into. So if, if yeah. you like this, cool. If not, you should probably bail now. Probably. Honestly. Yeah, probably a good idea. But yeah, like that's that's a hundred percent it, man. And and but but as the movie went on, like and as the plot got more complicated, I I started to my overall enjoyment lessened while my immediate enjoyment was still very high. Like mm-hmm. I was still like when I was in it, I was having a good time. But when I like had to stop and think about like what was going on, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. So it's it's not a perfect film for me, but it's it's still a very good film and one that I would love to own on physical media yeah. and one give that I will 4K definitely sure. be watching again. Yes. Please give us the 4k. Like Warner I Brothers. said, the way that it shot the color grading on that, I would love to see those colors pop for sure. Cause it's very, very photo realistic. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah. I love the way this is lit. And like I said, the way it's, it's color graded, it's perfect. hundred percent action. Jackson opens on February 12th, 1988. It opens at number three, the number one movie in America, eight weekends in release, a little movie called good morning. Vietnam is number Williams, my boy, Robin Williams in second place, a a new film this weekend. It's good. A new film out this weekend. Uh, it is a little film starring Tom Berenger, Richard Mazur, Clancy Brown, Kirstie Alley, and Sidney Poitier. It's called Shoot to Kill. I have no idea what it's about, what? but Shoot That's to Kill. That's a fantastic fucking cast. I got to watch right? that. Let me put that on the list. Or what's it called? Shoot to Kill? Shoot to Kill. Shoot to Kill. Put that on the list for next week. We're watching that motherfucker. In third That's place. That's like my dream cast. <laughs> <laughs> in third place, we've got Action Jackson, the movie we've just discussed. In fourth place, Three Men and a Baby in this hey, economy. Speaking of the goot, no, wait, that's no, that's I the get goot. Them mixed up. Okay, who do I get no, it mixed? I get him mixed up with Guten, uh, fucking. That's Selleck, uh, Gutenberg, and Danson, all three. Yeah, but who do I get the goot mixed up with? I don't know, dude. I get him mixed up with. Fuck, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whatever, go ahead. You know what's that movie I was writing down? Shoot to Kill? Shoot to Kill, yeah. Shoot to Kill, yeah. Do you know who directed Three Men and a Baby? This is fucking wild. Oh, I feel like I know this. You should. Who is it? Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I did know that. Mr. Spock. It's one of those things where, like, it's in there, but I couldn't pull it out myself, so you Mm -hmm. had to kind of poke it. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember if he directed the first or the second one, so I had to look it up, but he did, in fact, direct... For that one's been in theaters for 12 weeks so far. It is still at number nice. four. Uh, in fifth place, a damn near perfect movie, Moonstruck. Love Moonstruck. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I don't give that's that enough attention. I need to watch it more, honestly. People don't. I've seen it like twice in my life. Rounding out the top ten, you've got uh, Wes Craven's The Serpent in the Rainbow at number six. 
Oh, that's a fantastic movie, Stephen. Go put that on your list if it's not on there say, already. I have not. That's one. That's Bill one of the Coleman, handful of Cravens that I've not shit. seen. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of based on a true story too. Okay. It's pretty rad. Um, in seventh place, uh, she's having a baby. Um, she what if someone had a baby? What if, What if someone had a baby? I think that's yeah, that's Kevin Bacon, and Elizabeth McGovern, in that one. So just one man and a baby in that one, not yeah. the three like the other. Right. Okay. Uh, in eighth place, opening this weekend, uh, Satisfaction with Liam Neeson and Julia Roberts. Uh, the Joan Freeman movie, that one? Uh, uh, in, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't figure. In ninth place, uh, Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson, uh, Ironweed. Uh, that one has been, uh, okay. I think that one has been, is opening wide this weekend. It's been in theaters is that a for real about movie? nine weeks. It is. It's a Sony TriStar wow. movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that's, that's that's a real ass movie. And in 10th place, opening new this week is Spike Lee's second film, School Days. We just, we had talked about Spike Lee earlier in the episode and he's back again at that's spot. one of my few blind spots in his filmography i have not seen school I, days i don't like school days um for one very specific reason um there's some sexual politics in that that i feel are really gross and there's an argument that i think some people make that that's the point but if that is the point he doesn't do a good enough job of highlighting that that's the point. Yeah. So I could see that's, that. that's just my thought on that. Um, anyway, uh, action Jackson makes $20.3 million in the domestic box office off of a $7 million production budget. Again, success, but not successful enough to warrant further sequels. Um, now we get to hear what the critics say and it's just rude, frankly. Uh, the tomatometer score is a 19% rude. Outrageous. The meta score is a 36 based on generally unfavorable reviews from nine critics. And even the audience scores on like Rotten Tomatoes aren't that good. What the fuck, everybody? I know. Are we watching the same movie? Come on, this people. fantastic. And uh, Letterbox, the score is a 3.0. Tucker out of five stars. How are you rating 1988's Action Jackson? Uh, before I reveal that, I want to say I'm starting to realize that pretty much everything on Letterbox sits at right around a three. I mean, that's kind of an average, yeah. Between like 2.8 and 3.2 is where every movie sets on letter. Every movie on Letterbox. That's every a sweet spot, one. baby. Anyway, this is a four. This is four stars because despite an overcomplicated story and and at times less than perfect script, Mm -hmm. though the script does a lot of things really, really well. This movie does so many things perfectly and especially for me. Because I am a fan of both of the genres that it leans heavily on. I'm a fan a lot of, of a lot of the uh, actors in this film. This, uh, like I said before, this is this should have this is what Cobra should have been. Mm-hmm. I thought Cobra was supposed to be made for me. No, Action Jackson was made for your boy, one hundred percent. So that's four stars for me. Yeah, it's a four for me too. Like I just I, I like I said, it's not perfect. Like. The plot was sort of kind of weighing me down, but like at the end of the day, I, I had a blast with just, and again, the action set pieces in this movie 
are about as good as practical action sequences get in the mm-hmm. 80s. Like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the pinnacle. It's like the stop motion in Return to Oz. It's the best yes. that it's pretty much ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, because after this, I mean, the next major action movie that I really register is Terminator 2 in, in 91, 91, 92. Um, and that one is that that's when CGI kind of starts. Then the camera's still doing a lot of stuff practically. I mean, to to be fair, uh, the set pieces are, with the exception of like Robert Patrick's character are, sure. you know, practical. Right. But, it, but it's kind of the genesis of Terminator Genesis of... <laughs> You know, the, CGI the, kind of taking over. It's the Terminator genesis of computers With a taking over for humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, it works. that works on levels, that, that mm-hmm. bit. So I'm, I'm pro <laughs> funny how that all Funny how that all works out, right? Right. <laughs> I am really bummed I did not get a chance to talk about Vanity, the female lead of this movie, because she is a fascinating character. You know what? We'll talk about her when we cover The Last Dragon. Okay. Touche. That is fair because she is a a really interesting figure, and I do want to touch on her. But I know your computer's about yeah. to die, and, and she we fucking wrap this up. she got a gold, she got a raspberry for this. Fuck you, golden raspberries. Fuck off with your bullshit. I mean, in general, fuck the golden raspberries. Uh, yeah, like the, it, an institution that is dedicated, like its only purpose is to punch fucking down. Exactly. Like, fuck off, gold raspberries. Fucking like, is it kind of funny? Bullshit. Maybe, but also, it's kind of funny. Like the when, first time you hear about it, and then the more you hear about it, you're just like, fuck that. Fuck. Those well, guys. like, like when Halle Berry shows up to pick her to to like give a speech for her cat, Wolven Raspberry. Like, that's a high point in like the joke her of Oscar. the golden raspberries. Yeah. Yes. Or Sandra Bullock <laughs> showing up and bringing DVDs of her performance in All About Steve because people yeah. didn't catch the nuance. <laughs> Yes. Like those are the high water marks of the golden raspberries, but generally, just in general, fuck yeah, the golden raspberries. Fuck them, man. Like just and just it. because mm. just because two people were able to like like play into it and make make, you know, lemonade a shit, like mm. doesn't mean that 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 does not justify the existence of a bunch of people yeah. punching down for decades. We don't need that. Like we don't. look we 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 talk shit about people all day, but you don't got to make a big thing out of it, man. Don't Mm-mm. involve them. Like, don't Mm-mm. involve everybody else. Like, fuck, man. That's like no. that's why gossip is gossip, and not like that's why the, the internet was a mistake, man. Internet because now a it's not just it's not just gossip, man. It's out there no, for everybody. It's everywhere. Yep. You can't talk shit anymore, like in a polite way. Like. <laughs> I know it sounds really awful, should, but also but... like, no, I'm just saying, but you know, you get into it with your friends. You're like, you know, that person we both know, mm-hmm. there's that one thing about them that's just, can you believe that shit? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But now you can't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, honestly. I got That's a kind of an existential quandary that I'm going to have to work through. I was going to say, yeah, you, that one. <laughs> you, 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 you wrestle through that while I talk about I just, our social media. I just opened up a can of worms in my own brain, so I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, while he works through that, this has been the Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, you can find us on uh, just about any social platform, but specifically we're on Blue Sky, we're on Instagram, we're on Letterboxd, we're on Facebook, and we're on YouTube at Disenfranchised pod uh find us on patreon patreon.com slash disenfranched pod for five bucks a month you get access to god so much content including our so weekly show days. what are we watching 
days, yeah. days of content for days. Um, and a week. yeah, and you get, um, uh, look also, if you, uh, are on, uh, your podcatcher of choice, leave us a five-star rating and review, particularly if you're on Google podcasts, uh, or not Google pocket, particularly if you're on Apple podcasts or mm, Apple podcasts <laughs> or Spotify, those go a long way. We actually got a new review this past week, but I don't have time to read it. So maybe next. Oh, week. no, you do. Steven, come on. You got it. You got this. Read, read the review, Steven. It is come from, on, let's, let's it tempt is fate. It is from one of our patrons and one of our one of our good fans, Brandy. Uh, she uh, uh, wrote a review, five star review, a fun listen. The chemistry between the three hosts is so great and I always have so much fun listening to this podcast. They're funny and they cover a wide variety of movies. Oh, we so, love Brandy. Brandy's all over our social media, man. We love Brandy. Yeah, we love Brandy. Thank you, Brandy. We appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate that That's review. Bad. We really do. And yeah. hey, if you if you're a fan and you want to hear us read your name and your words on this podcast, write write us a review and we'll do that for you. Uh, another yeah. way to get us to read your name and words on this podcast is to write us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. And if you do that, yeah. Tucker will get very excited. You will validate Tucker's entire existence if you write us an email. You'll keep me going for another week. It really, you know, really will. Life like will he, be worth living for another week. He fucking loves that shit, man. He, you, you will just make his whole life if you do that for him. So I'm, I'm actually looking at it now. I don't see that there's anything in there, which is a bummer. But, mm. um, but hey, uh, I'm your host Stephen Foxworth. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Letterboxed, and Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus Tucker. Where can we find you these days? I'm on Instagram and I'm on YouTube at Einstein09, I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. Also check out Tuck Mugs on Instagram at Tuck underscore Mugs. We've had a lot of posts lately, a couple guest mugs and a solo mug, and we got another guest mug on the way and also a delayed mug from my Christmas vacation. My computer's at 5%, so let's get the fuck out of here, Steven. All right. You can find Brett on uh, some socials at either sus underscore warlock or sus warlock. Hey guys, this has been the disenfranchised podcast on Ep on action Jackson. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy from my co-host Tucker and my absent co-host Brett, right? Until next time. How do you like your ribs? <laughs>